Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Community Agriculture Podcast. This is Emily, and I am sitting here with Miyavi Shields. And just a little bit, if you are new here, the Community Agriculture Project is an accessible and interactive agricultural resource directory. We document and provide insight into local agriculture landscapes and sovereignty-based projects. So we're about to hop into another very interesting conversation. Right now, I'm sitting in Salem, Massachusetts, and I'm with Miyabi. So Miyabi, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, So my name's Miyabi, and I am a research scientist. My background is in pharmaceutical sciences, and I studied drug discovery in the endocannabinoid system, which is the system in the brain that interacts with cannabis. And um, very recently, it was within the last six months, I started working at a farm here in Salem called Maitland Mountain Farm. It's the only farm in Salem. Um, And the experience has just, um, I don't actually have words for it yet, like that encompass all of it, but it's been a life-changing experience for me. Wow, I didn't realize that Maitland was the only farm in Salem. So what's, do you know the population in Salem offhand? I think it's around 49,000 people, something like that. We're, we're just shy of like 10 miles north of Boston, depending on how you, you get here. Okay, interesting. Wow, so only farm in Salem. And so what has that being in that environment been like for you? And how has being in that environment help to shape the community that you build moving into a new space and also yeah how has the community that's already present here affected you so far yeah when we first moved here it was very uprooted like I had lived in Boston for a really long time and never imagined leaving and when we moved here we didn't really know anyone in the area um aside from my former co-workers and um, you know, finding the farm and meeting people on the farm, not just people who I work with, but people who come to the farm, people who come to the nursery, people who come to, you know, get pickles and almost everyone is, is local. And it's really made me feel like I've been able to put down roots in a completely different way. And it's also been a way for me to create and meet other people who have this like really similar interest to me in you know specifically natural medicines and um, a lot of the plants that we're growing are medicinal a lot of the plants that we're growing have a purpose like they have an, a, a traditional use and a, and a real biochemistry to them and so I've been able to find way more people to you know, have these conversations with, I think way sooner than if I had just moved somewhere and not been, you know, interacting and creating something for the community at the farm, which has been, you know, something that is so different, um, so vastly different from the type of research I was doing before where I was in the lab, very, very removed, um, very removed from a lot of things um, because that's, you know, kind of the nature of research science. Right. Yeah, and and even with that, like how how do you feel like you're exploring science in this farm setting and like what do you do at the farm? So 
we make pickles. Um, I've, I was never made a pickle ever before, actually. <laughs> and now I've made thousands and thousands and thousands of pickles. Um, and we also grow things like we've been growing things from seed. We started growing things actually last year. The first thing that I ever did um, was I planted garlic in the in the fall, in the late fall, early winter, because and I had no idea, but that's how long it takes for garlic to grow in New England. And uh, we planted a lot of native seeds. We have a ton of native um, plants, and the farm is really about bringing um, bringing things to the community and improving upon um, what was our what we already have, which is you know Salem has a ton of nature and a lot of really um, beautiful history with that and with the you know with the woods. And the farm is actually like less than a thousand feet from a really large um, conservation area. And one of the things we're also hoping on doing is to be able to pull invasives out and educate about invasives because um, there are a lot of plants that are kind of like encroaching upon um, the native wildlife there. And it affects all of the other animals that are part of that ecosystem. And it's really changed, um, you know, working with the soil and actually just physically touching it, like the smell of the soil too. Um, there are tons of studies out there that can piece together or try to say at least in part the positive effect that that can have on you and on your mental health and on your physical health and on your spiritual well-being and how you feel connected to the earth but it really doesn't compare to the experience of doing it like the experience of actually growing something from seed and learning how to how to transform it and i've been really passionate about natural medicines for you know a long time but have you know, never actually gone to this granular level of learning about every process of the growing and every process of um, the steps that go from having a seed and bringing it to a plant that then creates something that you were to eat or to use. Yeah. Yeah, there's something really special about being able to witness and like develop these communication skills like with plants where you're like, you're listening to them and and you're answering to them when they have these different needs you know like yeah like that you can see that they're happy or sad and like you can tell by the way that they look and i i also started really early especially when they were babies when they were younger i did it a lot i did it a lot more actually but i was like singing songs specifically to them so that they would like grow in this environment that um they knew was i guess to me i was like Trying, you know trying to communicate like you're saying um and that there's all these different all these different languages and it's just all these different expressions too and um learning about that in a very real way at like seeing it happen both really slowly and really quickly at the same time um it's taught me a lot about patience it's taught me about like also just like breathing with the earth and how we ourselves go through these cycles too and we often kind of get caught up or I used to get caught up in not being as aware of it and not being as tuned into it and especially because I you know spent a lot of time in the city and I spent a, a long time in research labs which are very technical and really really about um very minimal like variables. we were saying early earlier today like reductionist like it's a reductionist environment and like there's just so much like fullness and so much abundance that we can experience in like 
these like farming and gardening settings that are just like completely the opposite. And I think that that ha brings something out in people, that common feeling that we're all having and that we're all sharing kind of brings, um, it's, I, I don't want to like use, I don't want to use this word. It's a strong feeling that bonds a community of people because everyone has that similarity in this appreciation for the earth, but this appreciation also for the beauty, the appreciation for the diversity within the different plants and um, the appreciation for the work that goes in both from us growing the plant and then for the plant like growing for us. And I think that that um, in terms of like how I have felt in this new community for me, it's helped me find so many people that are, you know, I'm so grateful for everyone that I've met through working on the farm because we share and, you know, share this like really central thing. And we're, we're also all going on this journey together with all of these, like with all of these plants that we're growing. Like it's all, it's, it's, it's all so happening. <laughs> it's all happening at the same time. And we're all having our own individual experiences, but then right. it's also, it's also at the same time, one experience. And yeah and and so that collective energy is like really important to consider just because later in this episode we'll talk to andy so i guess maybe we could give a little preface of like andy and and the work that he does and how that ties into like what you just shared yeah so i actually met andy because i well first well, who I, is andy? yeah okay so andy so andy and holly own the farm um andy varela is he's also my city councilor <laughs> which we'll talk about later um and holly maitland and holly's the owner of maitland mountain farm and they're married and they've been working together and farming together and building, you know, this business for, you know, years now. And I can see that's another thing that's been very inspirational to me working on the farm and coming uh, with really fresh eyes because I'm very, very new to this. And to see how much work and effort has been done year over year over year to create what is currently here, um, you know, it is clearly something that has taken years and years of really hard work um i met them what's funny when i first moved to salem we were um <laughs> i was i was not having a kitchen and so i was spending a lot of time in downtown salem and i was thinking i really thought to myself i was like all the pickles in salem are, are really good like <laughs> this, like these are like really great pickles I, I that's so crazy and then you know one day it came about that i was eating kimchi and i was always like i had never liked kimchi you know i don't want to try it and i you know i finally caved because people you had to try this um and it was really great and i was like that's so strange i have to go buy some and so um, the people were like, well, actually Andy was just here, like having a meeting, <laughs> like he was just over there. You just missed him. And they were like, but the farm is in South Salem and, um, you know, the nursery is open and you can just go and buy the pickles right there from the farm. Um, and it turns out that it's across the street from where I had just moved. So, you know, um, my wife Lane and I just walked over there, you know, covered in paint and, went to buy the kimchi and Andy was working the cash box and we got to talking. We were talking about, you know, natural medicines. We were talking about cannabis. We were talking about food. We were talking about preservatives. We covered a lot of ground in like a quick conversation enough so that we were like, we should like definitely hang out. Also, we just moved in and they 
invited us over and we became, you know, really close friends. And it was actually, you know, just so, it was just such like, almost like a twist of fate that then when I ended up being in a career transition, that it was like a timing when I really felt actually that I couldn't handle doing anything more at the time than something very manual. Um, and you know, all of my previous roles in my professional career have been quite technical. Like I have been, I went straight from my undergraduate into my PhD program and then was working in academia. And then after that was in like the natural products extraction and cannabis, like um, intellectual property and research. And it was a very different step because I was making a career transition because I actually was at the moment at that time, um, not able to do that type of work anymore. And I was like, I need a manual physical labor job because that's what I can do. And I also need to make an income and, and do something. And we were just talking at, at dinner, they had us over and I was like, yeah, do you know anyone that has gigs like shoveling snow? Like that's something that I'm quite good at actually. And I, I like it a lot cause I'm from California. So I'm not like sick of it yet. Mm. Um, and yeah, and then they said, you know, we always need help at the farm. Like if you can see if you like, like it, we always need help. And I was kind of like, yeah, okay. Like I'll try, like, I'll definitely give it a try. Um, when I was in college, I worked the pool in the football stadium and I, I really enjoyed that type of work. And I was like, it seems like it could be comparable moving things around and like doing that. And I, I really wasn't ready for the experience at all <laughs> because I didn't know, I guess how significantly it would affect me and like my worldview. That's incredible. The plants are powerful <laughs> and like the environment is just so powerful. So, okay. So, wow. That's really, that's really seems serendipitous the way that y'all met. And, and so you've been working with Andy and you first knew Andy, I guess, through the lens of kimchi. And then you later <laughs> found out that he was the city councilman. Yeah. So it was funny when we went to go, when, when we were talking about it, I was thinking also after upon meeting him that the fact that he was my local city councilor was very reassuring to me. I was <laughs> like, I was like, well, that's awesome that my city councilor is this like, you know, very like uh, forward thinking and very passionate person. Someone who's like very like invested in the community, very clearly creating things like for, with intention. Uh, and uh, the more I got to know Andy and Holly, the more I came to like appreciate the way that that, that is, I mean, all the people that I've met through working on the farm and um, through the community, Salem is a pretty big, we are both big and small, you know, we're very close to Boston, but it's a, it's a pretty small town. And, um, I really appreciate the community here that we have. And, and it's something that I actually haven't really felt pretty much anywhere else. I moved around a lot as a kid too. And so I never really ever imagined myself like, you know, the word putting down roots somewhere also has like I finally get it. Like, I finally understand like what that would feel like to me because I feel like it's happening in, in my way that I just like could never have anticipated because I just didn't see that for myself. And so I guess the next question I would have for you is like, how does spending time in this farm and like the influence of this farm influence your own goals for what you want to do in your community? 
and how do you think maybe it has shifted your goals that you previously had? I think it's completely, I think it's it's shifted my goals. It's almost and like- what, And also if you don't mind being specific and like what are those goals that you have for your presence in this community now? Yeah, I mean, my it's so interesting because I almost feel like it's just the final evolution. It was almost like learning about like learning about urban agriculture, doing more. I did a lot more research on urban agriculture after, you know, after working on the farm, I've been learning nonstop at the farm actually in training, but I also have been just spending a lot more time like reading personally about like the history and learning about more, um, just trying to, to learn more about it because I love it and I'm just obsessed with it now, but it almost feels like it's not a shifting of my goals at all, but like the last piece that was needed to like push the foundation of what I wanted to do and solidify it in a way that um, matches something that is the most impactful. And I've always like, one of my goals that I've always been the most passionate about is neurodiversity advocacy and talking about mental health and talking about, um, talking about different ways that we can manage quality of life and different medicines that we can use and about destigmatizing the different options and not necessarily saying that I'm like against pharmaceuticals because that's my professional background and I don't personally take like pharmaceuticals. Um, I will if, if I have to too. I think that they have their time and place. I'm, not, I'm just trying not to demonize them. But at the same time, I have always been really passionate about adding validity to the other options that are clearly there and clearly to me have um, equal amounts of validity, if not more in just a different context, like a different type of, of research. And that has been something that has been on the forefront of what I've been wanting to do is to just, you know, I really want to increase the quality of life of um, other people. And I want to, I want to help other people who are like me to come to better understand themselves and then better be able to um, feel like they can do that themselves and be empowered um, by it. And, you know, I had never grown my own medicine until this year. I just, I had never been able to do it. I didn't know how, even though there's tons of ways to do it. It's, there's ways that I could have gotten that information. I was never able to get past that barrier of actually like being able to do it. And I think it's a completely different experience to grow your own medicine. I think it's, it's transformative. And um, I think that that's something that's evolving in my perspective of what I want to continue to do um, with my goal of educating people and helping people understand biochemistry on a level that's in a combination of not just about, um, you know, it's not just about what is the formula like what is the thing that you're getting it's it's about this other aspect of it and it's about feeling and understanding that that you can do it and also the relationship that you build with your own medicine and how significant that can be mm -hmm. um because we don't quantify that and that's like a different research goal that's kind of come up not, like in my life very recently right and i feel like that also is part of that I guess I would call it like a shift outside of that research environment and more into like, what does it look like with the interface of like plants and people and like food and people and like the way that those relations just become so deeply personal. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's almost like, and it's almost like having so much life 
like and like just being around so much life and taking care of so much life um is something that is clearly linked to um then like with a gratification like it's not just gratification it's yeah it's being thankful for it. it's being grateful for it because you've seen both you and the plant go through so much like it, both sides doing like doing so much and taking care and it i think that it changes that aspect and i'm not I'm not saying that I think that like mass produced food or medicine is necessarily like worse just off the bat. Like I'm not like saying, although you could argue that like chemically it's likely to be. I mean like in terms of like the nutrients and like, it, and for medicines like the secondary metabolites and everything, like um, I think that we just have metrics that we haven't yet been able to discover. And I'm really interested in those. And I'm really interested. I mean, we were talking about this earlier today too, yeah. about this creative ways that we could investigate these types of things that are, you know, previously said to be like unquantifiable. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm really excited to talk more with Andy, like, and, and hear about even more of the community implications of this. Yeah, we have um, the right to farm here, and that's one of the reasons why this is, and Andy's one of the reasons why we have that and in Salem, and it's incredible because it makes it so that we can do something, and that's what, you know, I've, I'm trying to do. Like, we've been inspired to try to create for our community too, and it probably won't come to fruition until, like, hopefully by the fall or the winter this year, because there's still just, like, a lot of work to be done, but... It's going to be really, it's going to be really special for me when I can create something that then I add to the community, you know, and like, it's been special to be part of it at the farm too. Um, but I'm really excited to like add to that and to also encourage other people in the community to do the same thing. Yeah. What a vessel. Um, so let people know where they can find you and where they can learn more about your work because we didn't even really get that much into that um but let people know where they can tap in with you and then we're gonna go check in with andy and holly cool yeah so um i'm on social media as miyabi phd so just my name and phd after it and um my website is projectchronic.com and yeah if you go there you'll see i've been blogging about a lot of things and i'm um in the process of expanding it to become something that's more collaborative about um sharing real experience and real protocols and real things that people have um sort of like a group like uh collaboration of you know changing the way that maybe we like approach how stringent we are with giving like not necessarily recommendation but just sharing personal experience for the sake of sharing this experience because others can feel the same way too yeah. um and yeah so you can find me there and it's been awesome to chat with you about this this has been like without a doubt the most significant change that I've ever undergone in such a short period of time and I know for a fact that it has to do with this very specific act of you know both giving and receiving mm -hmm. thank you so much
I am here at Maitland Farm today. I am with Holly. And Holly, you are the partial owner of the farm? Correct. And um, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and the history of the farm and what that means for you? Sure. Um, I grew up here um, in Salem. My father was a homesteader and always had a very large garden. We had chickens and goats at, at one point. Um, I used to eat tomatoes like they were apples. <laughs> um, but um, after working for a landscape garden designer and completely being inspired by her, um, I wanted to grow my own. And, you know, we had two and a half acres of land. So I started growing food and flowers. And that year, was the first year of the Salem Farmer's Market. So I decided to join. Um, we had chickens, so we sold eggs as well. Uh, my father and I, you know, grew together and um, he taught me a lot of what he knew in starting seeds. Um, but yeah, no, I just had a real passion for growing and um, I wanted to try to do it part-time part because I had three other jobs um, wow. and of course it was not completely successful at first mm. um, but I learned a lot and I still learn something every year growing food and flowers um, but in 2008 I met Andy my husband and he came from uh, Long Island, New York as a private chef and that year we had an abundance amount of cucumbers and one of my favorite things growing up was pickles so I made a refrigerated style or refrigerated method pickle and Andy as a chef was convinced that we had to do something with them um, so as a farm having a value-added product he's, he said is a no-brainer um, so that's where the pickles started and then Andy continued to farm with us and moved here from Long, Long Island, New York and um, quit his job. Wow. And we both worked in the restaurant industry so we would support the farm with working at night. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. So that's how all these pickles came about. <laughs> And they're really good pickles. I've already had so many of them. They're delicious. Um, and so that was really like the start of Maitland Farm? Yeah. So we started, you know, in 2008, 2009, and we built our first small greenhouse. Um, and we joined the Salem Farmer's Market. Um, and it just went from there. Um, we started doing pickles year-round um, because the need and want was so high um, and restaurants wanted them all year year round so we continued to do that um, you know we were not able to quit our jobs at restaurants until much later um, maybe 2017 wow. so we were you know working hard during the day and then working hard at night and finally we got to a point where we could 
let go, let it go. Yeah. And so it sounds like the community that has been built around your farm is like pretty multifaceted. Like, you know, the restaurant industry is a pretty big factor, it sounds like, and maybe the community that was built through your farmer's market presence. And so I guess, what is the community, what did it look like then and how has that shifted and evolved? Well, with, um, you know, working at a restaurant, we, we employed a lot of people, um, from the restaurant industry to help us with pickles on Mondays because mm-hmm. restaurants were closed. Um, but it was also about, you know, doing the Salem farmer's market and growing for, you know, all of our local friends and family. And, um, there seems to be such a need for fresh local, um, you know, practice, practicing organic, um, we practice organic, uh, plant, uh, farming, yeah. farming. And so, it's so important. um, you know, people really respect that and they want that. Um, so we found that there was a high need and a high want, um, you know, especially with all of my friends having, you know, children and wanting to feed them the best food. Mm-hmm. So, um, that was definitely inspiration to, you know, continue, uh, growing food and making sure that it was safe for all to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that came to my mind is like, what's, what's been one of your favorite farming practices that you've developed on the farm? Well, um, that's Within interesting. The organic niche. Yeah. Cause everywhere and all the people I've talked to, they always kind of have something different cause sometimes it can be really based on like what's available locally and just what your land is like really. Well, um, one year we became really close friends with, um, a restaurant owner and chef who was from Thailand and he wanted to rent some space here because there's plenty of space and we wanted to lend him some space. And so he, we did a trade, um, and he showed me just by digging into the soil and putting comp literally compost in there and then a little more soil and planting right on top. And he had the most bountiful, beautiful, plants that year and that is one thing that um with making pickles and um and we're talking all different vegetables we pickle beets mushrooms you know cauliflower um you name it we pickle it and Mm. um so using all the food scraps and um doing the same method has been really um amazing so that sounds incredible and it just it it attracts worms and bugs underneath and you know we've never really experienced any animals trying to dig it up it's just but it puts moisture into the to the soil and it feeds the plant yeah and it seems like you know minimally invasive to the soil 
Like if you're just like digging that hole and filling it up with compost, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sounds incredible. So, wow. I love that. And that you were able to learn that from just like those closer knit relationships in your community. That's awesome. Um, so you mentioned to me a little bit earlier about a CSA program. So what is that going to look like for Maitland Farm and is that something that's new? It sounds like something new. So this is the second year we're doing it. Um, we did it in, in the year 2021 and it was the driest season that we've ever had. Um, but luckily we did plan on using um, local farmers uh, food as well. So we were going to do half because we know on our land we can do certain crops and we can do them well. And then we were going to get certain crops from um, farmers out in, out west, western mass or northern mass. Um, and luckily we have someone that we can connect with um, through Farm Direct Co-op. Mm. Um, and we could utilize um, certified organic, you know, carrots or beets or um, zucchini or whatever's in season. Um, so we're really looking forward to growing, you know, half of the amount that we're going to be using in our CSA. And we're just, we have some returned members from 2021 and we have a lot mm. of new members as well. Um, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. We're doing a Maitland box, which is going to have, you know, different, maybe one week we'll have um, a house made dressing so that we'll be giving um, fresh greens that week. Mm. Or when we um, have tomatoes, we're going to have a local mozzarella. Um, and uh, we're going to kind of make the box special each week in mm. that they're going to have... Um, a connection you know so that way it's almost as if you're have a little meal plan in yeah. a box um, so we're gonna um, have you know sauerkrauts or um, things that pair well together um, you know we're gonna have like a house made oh uh, we'll have a, a local bread and maybe mm. eggplant and you can use the bread for breadcrumbs yeah. to do you know, a, um, eggplant Parmesan or, you know, something like that. So I love how, I love that just because it's like sometimes people with just produce, like full pieces of produce, they're a little bit intimidated or like, how can I use that? And I love the, the suggestive nature of that and just like supplementing it with the, with the dressing or something to help encourage people to use these ingredients and get a little bit creative as well that sounds totally. wonderful yeah i think we're gonna also do a lot of different types of um, sprouts which um i find to be really really high in vitamins and um one of the best most high you know amazing things to eat um especially when you know someone is is sick you really need those extra um, minerals and vitamins and 
So I'm excited to actually share, um, you know, some of the, you know, sunflower seed sprouts or the mm. broccoli sprouts or kale sprouts. Um, and we're, I don't know, I think that'll be really successful because it's pretty easy to do for us, especially when it's, um, it's controlled. Yeah. I've talked to so many people that just like, even people that are like, okay, what can I do even in an apartment? And like sprouts are definitely that. Like sprouts are such a nice universal introduction to just like connecting with your food, I feel like. So that sounds lovely. I've never had a sunflower sprout. Mm -hmm. It's really mellow and it's one of the easier ones for children to eat mm. because it's not too strong a flavor and not too spicy. Nice. That's good to know. And so, okay, so how, tell me a little bit about how you got started using Barn Door and like how you found out about Barn Door and um, I'm wondering is that going to be related to your CSA? So it is related to our CSA because it has a whole program where they, they can sign up through Barn to Door. Oh, Barn to Door. Yeah, yes. so it's like a number two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we actually, you know, figured out that a lot of farmers use this, um, uh, this program to be able to um, sell food online and in their own store so we you know can control the inventory that we have and um you know it tells us you know what our cash flow is and how everything is going and what we should work on or you know it's it's wonderful to have that because um otherwise during the pandemic we've really got hit hard and we needed something else to supplement what we were doing and we needed a way for people to come and pick up their order and not um have no contact with us and mm. so um that it really worked out and um especially during the pandemic we be became a little bit bored because we lost a lot of restaurant business so we came up with all these different recipes and became very you know creative and um we were trying to make ends meet and you know but also having fun doing it yeah um that sounds lovely and so how do people how did people find out about your csa when that started and was there any overlap with the barn to door how did that work um well we started barn to door before the csa mm -hmm. and we mainly uh, advertised through social media, Facebook and Instagram. Um, and I think it was word of mouth as well. I mean, living here my whole life and, you know, putting it out there on social media and people were sharing it. Um, so I think that it was just mostly word of mouth and, um, we did have around, uh, 50 members, but we also had different types of shares that year. We had a pickle share, a cheese share, um, mm. a flour share. So we had several different types of shares, but this year we're just doing a vegetable share and then a Maitland box, which is comes with pickles and, you know, uh, local cheese, local bread, local eggs, 
and so forth. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's fun. So, yeah. I think that I think that's really it. Unless there's anything else you want to share about like your future goals in this community, like what that might look like for you as well. Well, I think, you know, I really want to at some point when we have a little more time when my children are a little older, I would want to you know, have classes here or have online classes of some sort or maybe video tutorials or, um, you know, teaching certain methods of pickling or even growing your own food. Um, that way, you know, I'm sharing what I've learned over the past 15, 20 years of, you know, growing, maintaining, pickling and so forth. Um, and all that adaptation that you've had to do under di different circumstances like yeah that's a lot of a lot of wealth to share yeah i think that it would be a great way to share it um and you know i think there's a lot of people that are interested in learning so mm -hmm. i think it's um a good way to share with with all that's incredible. That sounds great. Yeah, I took a uh, pickling, little Zoom pickling class one time, and oh. it was great. <laughs> it was super easy, like, and it's just something really fun and creative to do. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea. Totally. Yeah, I think Andy is, my husband has done one um, course. It was, you know, via Zoom through the pandemic with uh, making how to make your own Korean kimchi. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, I totally would have taken that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it was a success. And I think um, it feels though we could, you know, have several different types of courses with different types of pickling and also, you know, how to start seeds, etc. There's it's endless yeah and being like the only farm in Salem like it seems like it could be a pretty significant impact definitely um, and then would love to do in-person you know um, classes as well so I think that yeah I would say that that would be possibly my goal for the next you know five ten years is to start doing that a little more that sounds awesome well, thank you so much, Holly. It was no lovely problem. to talk to you. You too. Yeah. All right. So we just finished our conversation with Holly, and now we're here with Andy. So Andy, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do here on the farm and in your community? Awesome. Thank you, Emily. Yes. So my name is Andy Varela. I am the co-owner and operator of Maitland Mountain Farm with my wife, Holly Maitland. And um, a little bit about me. Um, my background is I come from the culinary world and the art, arts world. And, um, you know, after coming here years ago to meet Holly, um, and we did have the opportunity to uh, do more with agriculture here. And that was done through some policy work 
with the state, which allowed farms that were under five acres to actually celebrate the protections that farms that are five acres or more have in the Commonwealth. So that's one reason that we really decided to commit to agriculture here in Salem. Uh, but furthermore, um, it hasn't been an easy, uh, an easy thing. Um, not sure if Holly mentioned, but our time here at Maitland Mountain Farm um, has been uh, basically a lot of work and a lot of advocacy. Years ago, uh, we tried to comply with local and state statutes when it came to health, health, just health and food safety, which is each farm in Massachusetts uh, has to go for a gap audit, a good agricultural practices audit, um, which means that you need certain infrastructure to ensure the safety and efficacy of whatever you're doing, whether it be cut produce, value added, um, or just uh, commodity product. Um, so with that, we tried to comply with the state and the federal government. We pulled a permit with the city of Salem and um, announced to us, uh, we hit a huge roadblock with the city of Salem. Uh, they did not believe that we were an actual farm and basically gave us a determination that we are a residence first and that uh, agriculture is not even an accessory use to what we do. And the reason this happened is some of our, let's say, department heads uh, always choose the path to least resistance when it comes to anything contentious. Yeah. And agriculture, even though it's a an act that has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, especially in the Commonwealth, it's something that's new today to a lot of people. So what happened was uh, Holly and I had a, um, a decision to make as far as how much we wanted to fight and push what we do with the city of Salem. Well, we uh, definitely um, committed to it and it's been a six year journey of figuring out a way to get the city to actually recognize us as a farm. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, since we started this conversation, there's been a lot of other city entities that also believe that what we do is a benefit for our community and that agricultural in general within the Commonwealth uh, and in the city of Salem should be something we should be doing more of. So a couple years ago, I had the opportunity through Mayor Ken Driscoll, who's now our Lieutenant Governor of the Commonwealth, to basically uh, create a food farm in a park in Salem. Mm. So with that, I was able to, with uh, three other entities in the city, uh, figure out and uh, place a spot in the city that would be uh, acceptable for agriculture. And with that, it's called Mac Park Food Farm. It's in its fourth season now. And basically what we do is we grow food for the community um, and we basically give it away. This started during the pandemic and we were really able to see how many uh, of our residents need access to, to better, better food, especially produce. So that was very successful. And um, with that, I've always uh, been trying to uh, have a bigger stake in our local uh, politics here in Salem. Um, I was elected to, as a city councilor in 2022 
Uh, this is, I'm finishing out my first term now, uh, but it's been a great opportunity for me to actually extend food policy when it comes to their city of Salem. And uh, we've done a lot of great things uh, because of that. Uh, we've uh, created our, an, our urban agriculture ordinance, which allows not only um, farms our size of the threshold of two acres or more to have protections, uh, but it also allows residents who are engaged in agriculture to actually grow their own food, sell it to their neighbors as an accessory use. And the reason we made it a codified ordinance is people need that are engaged in these acts need protections from others. And that's what we felt strongly about why we need to write this, because agriculture everywhere needs to be something that everybody just adopts uh, because it's it's a normal act. It's sovereignty. Like, Correct. It's yeah. The sovereignty element. Um, and it yeah. seems like growing your food at this point is a it's a revolution, when it should just be wild. a wild. It's wild. It's wild. So with that, you know, my continued work as a city councilor, um, we're definitely starting to push more food policy. I'm also a co-chair of the Massachusetts Food Policy Council Advisory Committee, mm. where we. Uh, basically advocate and uh, advise our Massachusetts Food System Caucus. So within our legislators, senators, and our administration, we give guidance on where we would like to see our food and food policy go in the future. Mm. So um, these are great things. Um, I appreciate having the opportunity to be involved. Uh, but like everything, like we need more involvement from not only the stakeholders that are engaged in agriculture, but also uh, just residents of Massachusetts to actually uh, put their put their basically their their, their sorry, gusto their like, gusto behind it their energy behind their energy it. Yeah. so like, so because like this is something attention. their attention because it needs its attention and. Massachusetts is one of the oldest uh, agricultural entities in the nation. It's something we can't lose. Mm -hmm. And with urban housing, it's continuing to get swallowed up. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the whole nimbyism of people don't like what's going on in their backyards because it's a different act. So with that, like uh, that's definitely my passion going forward with not only the city of Salem, but the state of Massachusetts which is to make sure that agriculture continues to be on the forefront of our conversations. Because when we talk about food, food insecurity, taking care of everybody, we need to be resilient in growing our own food. If we can't do that, then we have a huge gap as far as uh, being, uh, you can say, um, subject to... Uh, I think so. I consider it systems of oppression. Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. It's like, it really comes down to land access. And that's one thing that we're trying to work on with the state is figure out a way that our BIPOC farmers can engage and actually uh, be able to at least afford land or have the opportunity to lease land. And that's for our food system going forward, the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's as much about food sovereignty as it is about land sovereignty, as it is about environmental justice and and racial justice, and it's like all encompassing. That's why that's why I love to document this topic because 
And that's why I'm really excited to be in conversation with you because these, um, this policy interface and the embodiment on that level is like, I think just something we need to lay a blueprint for. I agree. And if I can say one more thing about policy, yeah, there is a huge disconnect between the federal government and what they find as a priority with uh, food policy and the state as well. And what it really comes down to is the local level. Uh, these policies don't translate. Um, most of these things drop off during the state, the, the local level, because these types of projects need funding. And that's one thing that is not an emphasis for any city that has a planning department, which is is basically figure out a way to make ourselves solvent when it comes to feeding our residents. And that is a conversation we need to continue to have, um, especially in Massachusetts, which is you need to make food policy a line item. It needs to be funded. It's not something that can just survive on grants and mm -hmm. people advocating it needs real mo a monetary structure. So that's the change we're trying to make. Yes, indeed. And like, I wonder how much of the farm bill is like, I wonder, well, the farm bill is a whole other conversation, but just, I wonder how much is written into the farm bill about the local level. Like I looked into it a couple of years ago, but just like even, it just feels like a trickle down effect, which we all know is also not an effective thing. So it is. And I think the biggest part of that is, uh, incentivizing people that have land to not necessarily get, give it up, but use it for another use. Um, or just make sure that, um, you know, when it comes to food, it's something that's easy to turn a blind eye because our our commodity food system here uh, in the United States is so large and it's so reliant on outside sources. Mm. And it's not to say it's broken yet, but we're seeing holes and it's concerning because going forward, uh, all of our all of our food's based on transit and trucking, and it has a, a carbon, uh, a, a, a carbon. Or like an association yeah, of carbon, yeah. yeah. And it's something that we need to figure out how to uh, mitigate. And the ways you can do that are making sure you actually support your local food system. Yeah. 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 Amen. Yeah, yeah. But we'll keep, we'll keep fighting. It's... Uh, it seems like people are starting to listen. Mm -hmm. And I really think it comes down to the younger generation. When it comes to environmental resiliency, social justice, these are things that actually we care about. Yeah. Um, because things are much different than they were uh, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like when I was out living in Oregon, that's when I really started to get involved in in agriculture and my local food systems and just the food system landscape as I sometimes refer to it and there is this this project called the Rogue Farm Corps it's like an organization and on one of their pamphlets they said like the average age of a farmer is 65 and so as I started that's one of the reasons why they roll out programs the way that they do um, so I started to meet all of these younger farmers and I'm like this is a totally different view of farming, you know, and this needs to be what's out there because if we're responsible for, um, you know, collectively building a system for the next generations, like 
we we need to tap in with each other and and see and understand what others are doing so i agree i agree awesome yeah so thank you so much andy anytime yeah appreciate it Thank you so much for tuning into the Community Agriculture Project podcast today. I hope you enjoyed this three-part conversation that we were able to have. And if you have any feedback or comments on what you heard today, you can feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at Community Ag Project or even by email, communityagproject at gmail.com. There are six more episodes coming to you for season one of this podcast, and I'm so excited for you to hear them, so please stick around. Talk soon.